Hi, my name is George Sinclair. I'm the lead pastor of Church of the Messiah. It is uh, wonderful that you would like to check out the, some of the sermons done by Church of the Messiah, either by myself or some of the others. Uh, listen, just a couple of things. First of all, would you pray for us uh, that uh, we will uh, open God's word well uh, to his glory and for the good of people like yourself? Uh, the second thing is, um, if you aren't connected to a church and if you are a Christian, we really, I would really like to encourage you to find a, a good local church where they believe the Bible, uh, they preach the gospel, and if you have some trouble finding that, uh, send us an email. Uh, we will do what we can to help connect you uh, with a good local church wherever you are. And um, if you're a non-Christian checking us out, we're really, really, really glad uh, you're doing that. Uh, don't hesitate to send us questions. Uh, it helps me actually to know as I'm preaching how to deal with the types of things that you're really struggling with. So God bless. Hopefully. So just tell me when we're live. Now? Uh, good morning. <laughs> Ooh, I don't know if it's uh, welcome. Uh, glad you're able to be here. Uh, let's stand as, uh, as our service uh, begins. And uh, as, uh, as Christians, uh, well, let's pray. Let's just bow our heads and pray. Um, we give you thanks and praise uh, that you have gathered us together. Uh, we ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit will fall with gentle but deep power upon all of us who are here, uh, those who will be caring for the children uh, outside of this room, those who are still making their way here, uh, for those who are joining us online uh, live, and in per at live, and for those who will be joining us downstream. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would fall with gentle power upon us. Help us to know, Father, that uh, you are God, that you are the creator of all things, sustain all things, you're sovereign over all things, and that we are coming. Uh, just as we're uh, about to, uh, to go into a time of singing God's praises, just uh, a couple of uh, 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 sort of gentle, just stay standing. Uh, first of all, we're really uh, thankful. Uh, Deborah Reed, our worship leader, is uh, on holidays, and uh, this is my son and uh, my daughter-in-law who are, have, have left St. Paul's Presbyterian to come and lead us in singing. So we're really grateful that they're here with us. And uh, we might have some sound difficulties today. That's because our normal sound team is gone. Uh, but we will just soldier on. And uh, anyway, it's good that you're all here. We'll remain standing. Let's sing God's praises. Great is thy
gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless
just uh, pause, remaining standing. Um, the cross is going to the back of the church. Those who uh, would like to send their kids to Sunday school uh, can follow the cross. Uh, uh, and let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you so much um, that you are not... Uh, that you, Father, we give you thanks and praise that you are... You are the creator of all things. You sustain all things. You are sovereign over all things. You are the great, transcendent, glorious God. But you are not just a God who is far away, uh, Father, that, uh, that you sent Jesus to be uh, our Savior, and that when we put our trust and faith in Jesus, Father, that Jesus uh, brings us to you. He makes us right with you, and you put the Holy Spirit within our lives so that, Father, you actually live within your people. And, Father, we are so grateful for this. We ask that your Holy Spirit will move uh, with gentle power in our midst as we worship and in the lives of these precious children and their teachers as they go off to Sunday school or some other type of care. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, your Son and our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. The flow of our worship, uh, we're still in sort of the first part of our worship, is that Jesus gathers his people, and then we'll go into a time uh, where God speaks to his people through his word. Uh, then we go into a time of holy communion through the Lord's Supper, and then the Holy Spirit uh, sends us out. And so we're still in that part of time. If you just uh, you think about it for a second, if Jesus was to appear, we'd, we'd want to be with him, we'd sing songs, we'd probably quote scripture back and forth to each other, and that's the part of the service that we're still in. And so we're going to say uh, Psalm 98 responsively, and it's uh, from the New International Version. The word should be up on the screen. Sing to the Lord a new song. His right hand and his holy arm. The Lord has made his salvation known. He has remembered his love. All the ends of the earth have seen. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Make music to the Lord with the harp. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Let the sea resound and everything in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let them sing before the Lord. He will judge the world in righteousness. And together we pray this ancient uh, and very profound prayer. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts be open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you, and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, The first and great commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the only Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Amen. Lord, have mercy and write these laws in our hearts, we pray. 
Um, one of the things we're going to be talking about in the sermon today uh, is a common life. And uh, one of the things uh, that uh, a church like ours, a Church of the English Reformation, does to sort of mark that common life is, uh, I mean, not only will we announce things like small groups and try to get people involved in that and, you know, alpha courses and, and all of that, uh, but we also, in a sense, uh, which I'll talk about more, we're connected to missionaries and the, and the larger church, and we're also connected, in a sense, have a bit of a common life with the church which is before us. Not that we pray to the saints, but that we pray common prayers with them. And so we're going to pray now these two prayers. Uh, the first one is for the um, collect of the for the 18th Sunday after Trinity. And uh, when we pray this prayer, it's, it's a prayer that Christians have been praying for literally centuries and will pray all around the world today. And then the second one, of course, is a, 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 a prayer for Thanksgiving Day. And these prayers are both a prayer that we can pray and a very concise gospel theology of the Christian life. Let's pray this first prayer together. And is it up? If we don't pray it together, I will pray and uh, you will all listen and say amen. <laughs> is it there? Is it the... <laughs> What's that? That's perfect. Let's pray this together. Lord, we beseech you, grant your people grace to withstand the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and with pure hearts and minds to follow you, the only God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And let's pray together the collect for Thanksgiving Day. O Almighty, and is that there? Not yet. But, by the way, just, you know, no, no pressure for money, but if one of you has five or six million dollars you don't know what to do with. Uh, if we could buy our own building, I'll have a screen at the back of the, of the church so I can see what you can see. Um, and that's just if you have that extra five or six million dollars to buy a property, we'd, uh, uh, we can talk. <laughs> you know what, I'm just going to pray it and then you folks can just say amen. Let's do that. O almighty and everlasting God, who crowns the years with your goodness and has given unto us the fruits of the earth in their season, we yield to you our humble and hearty thanks for these your bounties, beseeching you to give us grace to use them rightly to your glory and the relief of those in need through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, be seated as the Bible God's word written is read. Uh, the Bible reading today comes from Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
invite you to uh, stand uh, for the reading of the gospel text. And uh, just before I, I read this, um, so this, uh, what I'm about to read is part of uh, an ancient uh, eyewitness biography of Jesus. Uh, Matthew, in, in fact, was uh, one of the apostles who wrote this. And uh, it's taking place a day or two before Jesus dies on the cross. So that's the, the context uh, of this. Uh, the Holy Gospel is found in the Good News according to Matthew, beginning at the 22nd chapter in the 34th verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, just sort of pause if you're unfamiliar, those are sort of two, I guess we'd call them now denominations uh, within Judaism. So uh, he's had a, a controversy with the leaders of one of those, the Sadducees, and the leaders of another group have heard this. I read it again. But when the Pharisees heard that uh, Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Uh, that's another word for the Messiah. What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. And Jesus said to them, how is it then that David, in the Holy Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer, his, answer him a word, but from that day, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to remain standing and join with me in confessing the Christian faith in the words of this very ancient creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He shall come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Father, uh, we ask that your Holy Spirit would bring your word deep into our hearts, and we, uh, Father, uh, give an invitation and permission for your word to speak deeply into our hearts and form us so that we will be free and bring you glory and do much good for your great praise. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, your Son and our Savior, Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> um, 
<clears throat> Some of you who've uh, heard me preach before uh, know that usually when I begin a sermon, uh, I begin with some type of a problem uh, or issue, and then I go ahead and talk a little bit about how it is that the Bible addresses that problem or that issue. And I'm going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, it's, it's a little bit, uh, <laughs> I was thinking about it in an odd way, it's a bit similar to how I speak at funerals. Uh, when I get to speak uh, to a very, very mixed crowd. And, um, and, and if you're at a funeral, I, uh, I, I, one of the things I will say is, uh, uh, you know, I know people here have lots of different views. You come from all sorts of different backgrounds uh, as we gather here to remember, you know, the deceased and, and to pray for those who mourn and grieve. And then they say, it's just my great privilege to be able to share with you what my hope is as a Christian in the face of death. And that's sort of what I do. And this sermon's a little bit similar to it in the sense not, not that there's a funeral or anything like that, and it's not to put anything down, but it's just, um, you know, I, I wasn't raised uh, uh, in a church of the English Reformation. Uh, I stumbled into it, and uh, I sort of stumbled into it with lots of doubts. Like, I didn't really think Anglicans were Christians, and, um, and I sort of stumbled into it with doubts. But just one of the things, I guess I just want to share... I've just been so blessed as the years have gone by, as I've become aware of just the English Reformation and the documents and the, and the, and the, and the life that emerged from that. And um, like, I just really love it. Like, I just think it's so wise. And I'm not saying that if you're here as a guest and you're a Baptist or Pentecostal, like, I'm not saying that to put anybody down. I just share that it's been like a, an ongoing delight to just to see how it is that the English reformers went about, in a sense, setting up and launching a church. And, um, and, and one of the things which they did so relevant, and that, that's why it's going to fit into this, and I, I know this sounds like a bit of a criticism, and I guess it is a tiny bit of a criticism, and I, I ask your forgiveness, but um, like technically speaking, I can't receive communion at, at a Roman Catholic church. Like technically speaking. Now, in the city of Ottawa, my guess is that if I was to go into just about any Anglo Roman Catholic church for a mass, and I was to tell them that I was a, a presbyter in an Anglican church, could I take communion? And they'd almost definitely say yes. But technically, they're breaking their rules. Uh, and it's not just like on that one side of the Christian spectrum. Some of you are familiar with uh, very closed brethren churches, for instance. And in closed brethren churches, uh, I wouldn't be able to receive communion there either. In fact, they would probably think that we aren't a church uh, and that I'm not even a real Christian. Um, one of the things which is, uh, when I was in my previous church, I was way up the Ottawa Valley in a place called Eganville and Killaloo and, and uh, Clontarf and Tremore. And after I had been at, in the church in, T in Killaloo for a couple of years, this elderly lady started to attend the services with her sister. And I discovered over time that she actually went to one of those closed brethren churches. When I was driving there, I'd drive by this little gospel hall, tucked off, uh, very picturesque, uh, just off to the side, surrounded by trees. And uh, it, it turned out that, uh, I mean, and she was breaking the rules by coming to hear the, my, me preach and to receive communion with me. She'd come to my 9 o'clock service, and then the gospel hall met at 11. Uh, but I, in her case... Um, she was just, I guess, and held with such high regard in the church that they didn't kick her out. Uh, and, and, and she started coming to the church because I discovered after that she was a war widow. Her husband had actually been an Anglican minister who died uh, serving as a chaplain uh, in the Italian theater of the Second World War. 
and so she was a war widow. And I discovered she actually, I reminded her of her husband. <laughs> and, uh, and so she would come to the church with her sister. And, um, and I, and, but, but here's the point. When the English Reformation was, getting, was going on, one of the things they wanted to do was not to de-church or unchurch other churches. Like that was very, very clear to their heart. Even though they were trying to reform the Roman Catholic Church, they didn't want to say that all Roman Catholics were bad or that the, there was no Christians or no godliness there. They, they really wanted to work very hard in terms of how they were launching the church, this, this reformed, renewed, revived church, in such a way that it wouldn't unchurch or de-church other churches and traditions. And I think, that the, I think they were very wise in that. Uh, we have to be very careful uh, as Christians to not put up walls that the Bible doesn't put up. We need to understand the walls that are there. There's some boundaries, but when there's no boundaries, we have to be very careful about making walls where the, the, the Bible has a, an, an open door. And I mention all of that because what we're going to look at today, we're preaching through the book of Acts, and, uh, and today they're uh, for theologian, theology nerd types. This text that we're looking at today is a very famous text because it, it has the four marks of the church. And, and, I, and John Stott argues, and I'll, I'll just share very briefly, I think there's actually five marks of the church there, but there's four marks of the church, and it's a, a very common understanding. And so let's just have a look at it. If you have your Bibles, I'm using this ESV study Bible, uh, just of uh, this uh, journal Bible. Uh, there's a few Bibles there if you don't have your own, and I think we have extras of these. If you'd like your own journal Bible of just the book of Acts, I'm, I think we have a couple extra here at the, the, off, at the church, and we can give them to you. And we're looking at Acts chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading in verse 36, just to give you the context. And if you're unfamiliar with this, what, what this book is, is uh, this is, in a sense, part 2. Uh, part 1, uh, the, the fellow who writes the book uh, was a pagan who became a Christian. And uh, he himself was not an eyewitness of what Jesus did, but he interviewed eyewitnesses and wrote a very profound, true eyewitness biography of Jesus. And then after he wrote that, he writes this eyewitness-based biography of the early church, uh, the first 30 years approximately of the Jesus movement and, and what it accomplishes. And so we're very, at the beginning of this ancient biography, uh, Luke himself was an eyewitness for some of the events and others he had to interview people. And this eyewitness biography uh, or history of the church is written when many of the eyewitnesses were still alive and, and could correct it. And so what's just happened is, for this part two, where it's called the Book of Acts, uh, first there's a bit of a, just a very brief summary of the fact that Jesus, uh, after had died on the cross, that the grave was empty, uh, and the reason the grave was empty was not because the body was stolen, but because Jesus was alive, physically alive. And he'd proved that in many ways. In fact, Acts begins with uh, Peter, uh, with Jesus sitting at table eating with them. Uh, I mean, if you think, if, if, by the way, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you go down to the kitchen and you think you see a ghost and you pass the ghost some toast and he eats it, it's an intruder, not a ghost, okay? That's just sort of a general rule. It's not a ghost. It's a, you should call 911 because <laughs> you have an intruder in your house. And, and so Jesus, this is like just a very subtle little way that, that Luke is emphasizing that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. The grave is, is empty. 
And, uh, and then he talks about the ascension, Jesus ending his uh, physical appearances. Uh, he ascends into heaven. And then uh, Luke describes how the uh, whole group of Christians were gathering together um, uh, to, to pray together, waiting because Jesus said, I'm going to send the promise of the Father. I'm going to send you power from on high. And then uh, it, just a little bit before this, uh, the Holy Spirit which we now call the, the day of Pentecost, comes and it makes a huge noise and it comes and people speak other languages and praise God. And, and everything from the loud praising of God to the loud noise of the, of the wind of the Holy Spirit draws this huge crowd to figure out what's happening. And then just immediately before this, what we looked at last week is that the very first sermon by a Christian is ever, ever preached is preached. And, and now, uh, and here's where we take up. And what we're going to do is we're just going to catch the end of the sermon. That's verse 36. Here's how it goes. Let all the house of Israel, this is Peter preaching. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that's Jesus, both Lord and Christ, that is Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, that's the culmination of the sermon. I want you all to know <laughs> This Jesus whom you crucified has risen from the dead. We've seen it. We're witnesses. And this vindicates him. He is the Lord. He is the Messiah. And you meant harm to him by crucifying him, by abusing him. But he's alive. He's Lord and he's Christ. He's vindicated. And then verse 37, the crowd, when they hear this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? <laughs> and Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and and, and uh, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And just sort of pause here. So we have here a very, very simple uh, 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 you know, what's your response? Response is to repent, and in the, in the New Testament, in the Bible, to repent always includes believing or trusting, and trusting and believing always includes repentance. It, they go together. And, um, and, and so uh, repent means to turn so that your, orient, your whole life is now oriented around the man, Jesus, who is also God's Son, the Lord, and is our Savior, you need to turn and orient your life around him. And as a sign of that, a public sign of that, you are to be baptized to show that you have, uh, you know, uh, and I talked last week about the three different things that, that baptism types of symbolizes. And, and, and you will receive the forgiveness that you receive. If you turn to Jesus, repent, you'll receive the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It means the Holy Spirit will actually come and live within you. There's these three things that you receive. You put your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior and your Lord, and, um, and what he did for you on the cross. And when you put your faith and trust in him, all your sins, all of your things that you've done wrong, all of the good things that you do that you, shouldn't, that you didn't do, that, that leave you embarrassed and ashamed, all of these things are forgiven by Almighty God in the person and work of Christ. And not only that, he actually puts the Holy Spirit within every person who puts their faith and trust in Christ. You become, an, an, in a sense, it, this, this deposit that, 
the God himself will dwell and, and, and abide within you, and he will never leave you. And this begins even for ordinary human beings like us on this side of the grave, and it will continue even beyond the grave into eternal life. So you receive all of your sins are forgiven. They're wiped away. Your Holy Spirit lives within you, and he receives you to himself. He takes you to himself. You, you might not feel it. Some people, when they become Christian, C.S. Lewis famous, famously said, if you've never heard of him, he was a famous writer and, and thinker and scholar and, and Christian from the sort of the middle part of the 1900s. And he describes when he became a Christian, he was the most dejected convert in all of England. <laughs> and that's because he was such a proud man and he didn't want to have to give up his life, so to speak. But others have great joy. And what happens is whether you feel it or not, that God himself takes you to himself. That's what happens when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. This is the wonderful news. There's no other way to have God, the living God, the creator God, the triune God, to receive you for himself than to put your faith and trust in, in Christ. Your sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit indwells you. God receives you for, for himself. Verse 40, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. And so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And I talked a little bit last week about how this is one of the many, many, many proofs that historically Jesus, the grave is... Nobody would have become a Christian if they could show you the body of Jesus. And there is no better account for the start of the Christian movement than the real defeat of death and resurrection by Jesus. There is no better explanation than that. It's true. It happened. And it's profoundly good news. Now, what we're going to look at next, which is actually the, the bulk of the sermon, the next 22 minutes or so, um, is we have the first of several summary statements in the book of Acts. We get a, a summary statement, and, and here's, here's how it goes. And they devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, I'm going to come back to all of this, but these are the four marks of the church. Uh, and I'm going to explain them in a bit. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching uh, and in the original language, that devoted themselves applies to every one of the four things. And it, if you notice, sorry, a little, just a, you don't have to put your hand up, but some of you are English nerds. We know who each other are. And, uh, and for English nerds, it's really interesting. The definite article is before each of the four of them. Isn't that like an, a really neat English nerd type of thing? And, and so that's why there's the four marks, right? And so, you know, the first mark is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship or the koinonia. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, and they devoted themselves to the prayers. Now, before I go on and, and read this next little bit, it's really important to understand what happens here. Okay, what did not happen, what did not happen is that it didn't happen that the 12 apostles gathered the 120. They said, okay, you 3,000 people, uh, I'll go find a nice place to have some shawarma and some tabbouleh, and, uh, and after you've had some shawarma and tabbouleh and maybe some roast lamb or something like that, just come back. And, and the 120 went off into a, in a room, and Peter got up and said, we're going to look at our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. 
And so we're all going to break up into small little groups. And first, we're going to all share with each other like what some of the strengths are about this Jesus movement and write them down on some full-scap paper. And, uh, and then after you've done that, we're going to tape them all up on the wall around the room. And, and now I want to do through, now we've done the strengths, let's, let's do some of the, uh, the weaknesses, and then let's do some of the opportunities, let's do some of the threats. Okay, and then after the facilitator has done all of that type of stuff, uh, he says, here we have a couple of little uh, uh, stars. You each have four stars, five stars, and we want to go to the strengths, and I want you to put the star beside the strength ones that you think are our strengths, and then we'll count them all up. And then we'll see if we can group a few of them together, and then we'll come up with some type of an action plan. <laughs> that didn't happen. What, what happened is something both natural and supernatural just happened. It wasn't thought through. There was no institutional structure to plan it. They, on the day of Pentecost, <laughs> on the day of Pentecost, Nobody knew what was going to happen. Like all of those 120 people in the upper room, when they woke up that morning, they didn't wake up and say, I think the Holy Spirit's going to fall and it's going to create four marks of the church. <laughs> no, they just woke up. That's all they did. And, you know, there were more than 120. And, but some of the people, they, you know, they went off because, you know, people have to, to work. And, uh, and so some of them went off to do work, and, and some of them didn't have to work that day, and they gathered, and they spent some time in prayer, and then lo and behold, the Holy Spirit falls, and then lo and behold, Peter gets up and preaches this sermon, and all of a sudden, they go from about 500 people to three th over 3,000 people, and that just all happened with no plan, and then the next thing you know is there's just something natural and supernatural, and that these four marks, the way to understand these four marks is that, in a sense, four seeds are planted in everybody's life that are going to grow. Or another way to understand it is that the Holy Spirit, between knowing who Jesus is and what he's done for us on the cross, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, four quests begin. And one of the things which is so brilliant about this, including the next little bits, is it doesn't say... All of the, 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 the little, it, it doesn't come up with this detailed strategic plan. It, it just gives you these four seeds, and it happens time and time and time again. It's, it's why they're considered to be the marks of the church, is that when people hear about Jesus and hear who he is and what he did for them on the cross, they hear about his life, and they trust their life to him, and he really takes them to himself, and the Holy Spirit really enters into them, and, and the Holy Spirit places four seeds in your life or launches you on four quests, and they all fit together, and they're going to be contextual. It's, it's so neat because, um, so, you know, in, in, uh, six years ago, I, I had the great privilege. I was able to go to Angola for a while, and, um, and, and one, of the, 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 one of the groups I got to be able to visit was uh, some of the missionaries that we supported helped plant a church in this area of Angola that in many ways was using similar farming methods as they would have used 200 years ago. Like this is, you know, beyond the beyond the beyond the beyond. And they planted a church under a tree. But that church has these four marks. And you can read the story of Tim Keller planting a church amongst the intellectual and the rich in Manhattan, and their church has these four marks that there's something very dynamic and contextual about it. And it's not as if there's this a whole pile of rules that 
bangs you over the head that you have to follow every little thing. It's, that's what I say. It's like a, a, tr- it's a seed that grows where it's planted, and it's gonna, that seed is still recognizable and will grow in urban and, 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 and uh, down more urban, suburban Ottawa, and it, it will grow in Eganville, and it will grow in Angola, and in Nigeria, and in Singapore, and in Hong Kong, and in secret in Tehran. I just saw a report that they estimate that over half the mosques in Iran have been closed. And I just read a report that one of the senior clerics in Iran blames the secret conversions of Christians from Islam to Christianity in Iran is causing the mosques to be shut down. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, that blows my mind. That just blows my mind. They risk losing everything to give their life to Christ. Like, their life. If not their life, their job, their occupation. My, my wife's reading a... I haven't read yet. I started it, but uh, reading a... a, a it's, I, it's supposed to be a very profound book. Everything Sad, uh, everything sad becomes, Has Become Untrue or something like that. And it's the story of um, an Iranian man whose mother was a dentist, I think it was a dentist, and she became a Christian. And due to persecution, she had to flee Iran and leave all of her, her wealthy life. Uh, she had to leave her husband. He didn't want anything to do with her. And they ended up coming to Oklahoma. And it's a story about him, <laughs> this Iranian boy, trying to figure out how to live as an eight-year-old in, in Oklahoma, of all places. And uh, it's, uh, I've heard many people, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading after my wife has finished it. It's a brilliant book. But, but you know, here's the point. These are these four marks. And, and they're going to look different in different contexts, but they're there when the gospel is preached. Well, let, let's just finish reading this because it sort of fleshes it out, and, and then I'll go back and very briefly say, we'll look at each of them what they are. So we'll just read verse 42 again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And they devoted themselves to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And um, you know how in English you can have double entendres? And uh, one of the things that uh, kids' movies discovered a few years ago is that they could make kids' movies in such a way that the kids could follow it, but often when they say certain things, the adults would realize it's, there's like a second meaning to it, like they're making some film reference or some political reference or whatever. You can have like the same words have two sort of multiple meanings, and, and that's what happens here in this. And so uh, the original people hearing this biography, uh, this history in the original language, they would have heard praising God and having favor with all the people. In other words, people had goodwill towards the Christians, but it also says they were praising good the God and they had goodwill towards all the people. In other words, it's a context where they, the Christians, had goodwill to Jerusalem and Jerusalem had goodwill towards them. 
and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And that's what John Stott, and I agree with him, says is the fifth mark, that people, the church grows, that people come to a saving faith in, in Jesus, that God does this work. And this is a summary statement, and the rest of the book of Acts will show that uh, this was a, a, a sweet time in their life, but that problems would come. Like in the very next chapter, there's both a miracle reported, but also an arrest reported. And and, and eventually there'll be martyrdoms. Uh, Stephen will be martyred, and James will be martyred, and, and that's going to all develop. But this is this summary statement. And, and so let's go back to the marks. And, and if you could put up the first one, that would be very good. And they voted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, obviously in that, those days, that meant something very, very specific. Um, I, they didn't have to read the book of Matthew because they could have said, oh, there's Matthew. Let's go listen to him talk. <laughs> they didn't have to read the book of John because they could say, oh, like there's John. Let's go hear him talk. Um, most ancient Christians believe that uh, Peter was the genius behind the, the ancient biography that we now call Mark. So people didn't have to read Mark. They could just say, oh, there's Peter. Let's go listen to him talk, right? And that, that's how it would have, have been back then. And not just the... the, the and, but now it's, it's a very commonly understood that when we say they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that what we have in the New Testament is the apostolic teaching. Jesus taught the apostles... And that is what the apostles, in a sense, guaranteed is included in what we now call the New Testament. Just a little while ago, I, I had a conversation with somebody in a, in a coffee shop, and um, they were asking me some questions about the Bible. And they were actually very surprised. They thought that the Jewish people had a Bible and that Christians had a Bible. I said, well, one moment, we don't really have separate Bibles. They said, and they looked at me funny, and they said, well, what's going on? I said, well, actually, what you can understand is if you put on a piece of paper Jesus and, like, a line on either side, and there's Jesus, and then above the line is what we would now call, we call the New Testament, and below the line is what our Jewish friends call the Tanakh or the Torah, and we call the Old Testament. And uh, in a sense, all of the things in, in the Tanakh are things that were written before Jesus, and the things in the New Testament are what was written after Jesus. Ultimately, Jesus is the guarantor of the truth of the New Testament. And it's because of Jesus that we trust the truthfulness of the Old Testament. It all centers on Jesus. And I said, so our Jewish friends, they accept all underneath the line. But we as Christians, we accept both what's underneath the line and above the line. Our Jewish friends think we've gone too far. And we Christians think our Jewish friends haven't gone far enough. <laughs> and hopefully we can be friends. Although hopefully they'll also come to know Jesus. I didn't say that to the person I was asking about. I was just trying to explain the Bible. Um, but what we see here then is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, here, I think the way I put it that you should be able to see up on your screen is the first mark of the church is a devotion to hearing and understanding God's word written. And, you know, I, when I said that these are things are all natural and supernatural, they're natural in this sense. You know, one of the very common themes in movies, when you see somebody who's really grieving the death of a loved one, it's a very, very common bit in the movies, is that they, um, they don't cancel the phone number of their beloved. And they 
time and time again, they call their beloved's phone number so they can hear their voice and the message machine because they want to hear the voice of their loved one. And some of you who've lost loved ones, and then maybe you discover some letters from your loved one that you'd forgotten, you're doing some house tidying, you discover some letters or something like that. For younger people, there are these things that used to exist called letters, where you'd write on paper and put a stamp and and mail them. And and if you've ever been in, know people in that situation, they're, they're just so overjoyed to hear their loved ones speak. And so at the heart of this is something very, very natural because, you see, we understand that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us. So that when we hear the new, what we call the New Testament, what we're hearing is we're hearing God speak to us, and we want to hear God speak to us. We want him to speak to us. It's both very natural and, in a sense, it's also supernatural. And then look at the second mark, and this is the one that gets, in some ways, people the most worried to the fellowship or to the koinonia. And I I put it, the second mark is a devotion to having a common life with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And and it's going to be a common life that's going to involve money. (laughs) Just, you know, give me a little bit of grace uh, here. It's it's a common life that's going to involve involve money. And it's just a a natural thing. we human beings are social creatures. Um, if things are working properly, like we understand it's a tragedy when um, a child has both of his parents or her parents die, and it's even a bigger tragedy if there's not an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent that can care for that child um, and, and step in and, and, and in, in many times and places in the world that that child could just have been condemned to death unless there's something like an orphanage. But we, we understand that there's something just natural and, and holy about something like a family that we're, we're meant to be social. And, and what happens when you put your faith and trust in Christ is you become part of the family of God. And it's, it, if you have no desire to all be with your brothers and sisters in some type of concrete, not an imaginary way, then there's something which is missing in your Christian life. And if there's not some type of financial involvement with that, there's something missing in your Christian life. And, and so Christians have understood that there's just this, this desire to have some type of a common life that's going to be very contextual. It's, it's going to look very different if, and I don't think she'll mind, I know that every week Anne, who's in her 90s, watches this service. She can no longer come to services. That she, she watches. Hi, Anne. <laughs> like you're watching this right now. <laughs> and we have to figure out ways to include people who get shut in. And, and there, there's some people who are watching this and they could leave their house and come here and that's not being part of a common life. Like, I don't want to lay a guilt on you, but we need each other. And that common life is everything from having prayer partners, it's being parts of small groups, it's, it's helping out on a Sunday morning. It's coming to worship. And it could involve very, very costly things of financial help for people. We've, in this congregation in the past, have had to help members of the congregation who've been in financial distress for them to be able to continue to live in their house. And it's not just something for your local church. And this is one of the things I so love about Anglicanism is that we are connected to other churches in the city, both within our tribe, those are the churches of the English Reformation, but those outside of our tribe, 
Um, I'm, we're connected to other churches putting on apologetics event. We're in a couple of weeks, hopefully, we're going to have somebody come and speak because we're part of a group of churches, not just a, from the English Reformation, a group of churches, and we team together to partner with a group of churches amongst the very poor in Guatemala. And we, we raise money to give to, to those churches for them to reach the poor in their community. And that's koinonia. That's fellowship. One of the things we're going to pray about, I don't know if Victor will, but I'm going to pray about if, if Victor doesn't pray about in our intercessions, is that we, 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 we support missionaries throughout the world. And one of the missionary families that we support, when his son, they, they're missionaries in Israel, and when their son turned 18, and he's basically lived his whole life in, in Israel, he knows no other place. I mean, technically, I think they're New Zealanders or something, but that's just like a foreign country to him. He's grown up in Israel. He's fluent in Jewish, in Hebrew. And when he turned 18, he had a choice to make. Either he would do his military service in the Israeli Defense Force, like, a, like other citizens, or he would have to leave and go back to New Zealand. And so he, he chose to stay. This is a missionary, Aaron and Michelle. We support them as missionaries. And I got a picture yesterday because uh, their son got called up because of the horrendous terrorist attack by Hamas. And I got a picture of their son getting in the cab to go serve in the war. But that in involves us. We're in koinonia with him. And we'll pray for him. You can just imagine how hard Aaron and Michelle must be praying and his brothers and sisters for their, their oldest son to go and fight this war. And that's part of what it means to be in koinonia. And it, it involves our money. It involves our prayer. It involves our time. And it, it might look different when you're in your 90s than it's going to look like when you're 18. And it might look very different when you're 50 and able-bodied. And for a mom with five or six young kids, all, like it's all going to look... But it, that, that desire to have a common life, that's what's there. And I need to, to hurry up over the last two. If you could put up the next one, the third mark is a devotion to Holy Communion with the triune God through the Lord's Supper. Look what it says, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread. Now, just to, just to be clear, if you went back in a time machine, they would not do communion the way we do communion. They almost definitely would have done, <laughs> what they would have almost definitely done is they would have had all of us group up in, in varieties of tables, and we would have all had a big potluck. And in the midst of the pot, and we would have arranged beforehand, you know, so, you know, Uzo's going to bring, I, I don't know, he's going to bring the beef, you know, and, and Diane's going to bring the egg salad sandwiches because she has a spiritual gift for that, and she's famous for it, and, you know, I don't know, and, and, uh, and Owen would, would bring some type of spectacular gift, and I don't know, maybe uh, Susie and, and her husband would bring some um, smoked brisket or something like that that they do in the barbecue, and then we'd all have a nice meal, but as part of that meal, we would also have the Lord's Supper. And, and I, I love the way Anglicans understand the Lord's Supper. Uh, here's the theological understanding. It's like most of the things which is so beautiful about the English Reformation is it teaches Christian truths through prayer. And here's what is what we say when we, this is like in a sense at the, the root of, of, the, of the English Reformation about communion, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ which was given for you, 
preserve your body and soul unto everlasting life. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. It's not just remembering. It's a time to feed on Christ in his person. How do we do that? Well, you, you know what it means a little bit. You know, if you see a grandmother who gets together with her grandchildren and she just feeds on their presence, <laughs> you know, or you, you're, you, you get to be with your family or your, your loved one and you just sort of, you're just, what do we say? You're eating it all in. You're drinking it all in. <laughs> you're, you're, it's not just that you remember the good times. You just, it, that's what communion is. So what are the marks? We're committed to hearing God speak through the Bible. We're devoted to it. We're devoted to having a common life together. We're devoted around the Lord's Supper. And the final thing is the prayers. Uh, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The fourth mark is a devotion to common prayer. And so it, it goes beyond just having your private prayers. It means that there's times when you have common prayer. And that common prayer might be that if you join a small group and part of your small group time is you share prayer requests and you have common prayer. And it also involves common prayer at a time like this, which is more formal, where uh, Victor's going to come up in a few moments and he's going to lead us in some intercessions. And, and, and we listen to him as he, as, he, as he speaks to God on our behalf. And then we all say, um, you know, we all agree with him in some type of way and say amen at the end. And that's a decisive part of the church. And all of these things are very, very natural. And they're also supernatural. They're natural because we want to hear loved ones and important ones speak to us. And so we want to hear God speak to us. They're natural because we want to have a common life with others, whether it's with friends or family or whatever and we want to have that we want to have a common life with our brothers and sisters in Christ and it's a common it's a natural thing because we we drink it in being with people that we love and people that were and 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 so we want to we want to to keep the gospel in front of us and 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 drink it in and and feed on who he is and what he's done in his presence and our and 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 love for us and and then and then we want to speak to people We, we don't want to just be like like they used to talk about kids, I don't know, in the 40s or the 50s, they should be seen but not heard. No! <laughs> our Father in Heaven wants to hear us. He wants us to tell Him about our... He wants, to tell, he wants us to tell him about the fact that we were worried about finding a parking space this afternoon and about the job that we need and about our loved ones who need to know Jesus and about peace in the Middle East. Like he wants us to pour out our hearts and pray to him. And he doesn't just want us to do it by, ourse- by ourselves. He wants us to do it as part of our common life. That's so wonderful. And the fifth mark is just the end of that little section if you put it up the fifth mark is a life of humble prayer and witness that the lord uses to bring people to himself i mean we have lots of empty chairs here (laughs) but let me tell you for some reason god did a wonderful work and every single chair here was filled i would say to the wardens go out and get some empty chairs because we always want to have room for one more person if you have a small group have empty chairs in a hope that it, it gets so big we have to have more group more groups like we always want to have more god is continuing to call people ordinary people to himself let's stand please stand
Let's pray. Uh, Father, we give you thanks and praise that you reached out to us and called us, that you called me, <laughs> worthy as I am. You called me to be your son by adoption and grace. And, 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 and many, maybe all of us who are here or who are watching online, Father, that you've called us to yourself. Father, we give you thanks and praise for your great love and kindness to us. And we thank and praise you, Father, that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, you take us to your, yourself. We belong to you as, as, as your son, your daughter, your friend, that you live within us. You forgive us of our sins. Uh, you give us this new life that will survive death and go into the new heaven and the new earth. And that you put these seeds within us, Father, these quests within us to continue to hear your, your, your voice and, and speak to us so that we have your wisdom and insight for living and that you put within us a desire to have a common life with our brothers and sisters and, and to remember Jesus and to feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving and, and to join together in prayer for ourselves and each other's needs and for the needs of the world. And Father, we give you thanks and praise that these are the marks of the church and that you use us as worthy as we are in evangelism. And we ask, Father, that um, you would grow these, these streams, these propulsions within us, and that you would help, them, help us to live them wisely. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus, your Son and our Savior. Amen.